This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Good morning to you and welcome to CBS This Morning on this Friday, August 6, 2021. I'm Gail King, that's Daniel Jacobson. Vladimir Dutier is here, you see Anthony's off. Tony, still on baby leave, let's go. Dramatic new video showing the destructive power of California's largest wildfire. The Dixie Fire is what it's called. It's leveled another mountain community as the flames. Look at this, swallowed up the homes and the trees. In the meantime, here are pictures from outside of the destroyed Gold Rush town. This is Greenville. Smoke filled the sky with embers and flames rising on both sides of the road. The giant fire burning north of Sacramento, Sacramento rather, is still on the move. Fire crews are hoping favorable weather could help them get an upper hand over the weekend. Jonathan Vigliotti is in Greenville. Boy, Jonathan, those pictures are very scary. What are you seeing there? Yeah, they are scary. Gail, the destruction stretches on for miles. We are here on Main Street. This is what remains of the Greenville Library. I want to walk you over here to show you the other side of the street. That's what's left of the fire department. You're actually looking at the burned remains of a fire truck. And in the distance is a century-old hotel, all destroyed. 800 people lived in this town, many of them worked along this street and it only took about an hour to erase it all. In the last year alone, I've covered multiple wildfires that have destroyed towns like this. And what you're looking at this morning is the role that climate change is playing in making parts of this state uninhabitable. The Dixie Fire, which has already burned an area larger than the size of the city of Los Angeles, continues to grow. Fierce flames destroyed more buildings in multiple communities Thursday as the wind-whipped blaze swirled above the tree line. Wherever the wind blows, this fire is where it's going to go. The fire moved southward Thursday, taking out additional structures along a major highway. And to the west, buildings in the town of Canyon Dam were also seen in flames after the Dixie Fire leveled the historic town of Greenville Wednesday. There is destruction everywhere you look. The post office, the library, even the firehouse, all gone. Battalion Chief Sergio Mora helped lead the fight to save Greenville, but he says California's wildfires are creating never-before-seen challenges. Have they become more dangerous? Well, over the past three years, I think we've all seen it, right? It's just they're getting hotter and faster, and I think the fire moved from that side of town through the town in maybe about an hour, maybe a little less. The district's congressman took to Facebook, saying there's no words to describe what's been lost. Forget the politics, forget the nonsense. We have to stop making this happen by inattention to what is obvious. Just roughly 100 miles to the south, the fast-moving river fire has forced some 6,000 evacuations. We're seeing truly frightening fire behavior. We really are in uncharted territory around some of these extreme large fires and the behavior we're seeing. 
And officials say the Dixie fire will likely burn for several more weeks. As we drove to this town, we saw towering flames in the distance, and there is a lot of smoke. I was speaking with the battalion chief who told me the fire swept in here so quickly, him and his team had to do something they never wanted to do. They had to retreat for their own safety. Dana. Jonathan, just so devastating, those pictures. Thank you very much. The CDC says the daily COVID cases have reached the highest total since February, before most Americans could be vaccinated. The number of new cases topped 106,000 yesterday. This year's massive Sturgis motorcycle rally starts today, and many doctors are worried it could become a super spreader event. More than half a million people are expected to pour into the small South Dakota town for the 10-day festival. Mola Lange is in Sturgis at the corner of Main Street and Harley-Davidson Way. Mola, good morning. Well, good morning, Dana. Later today, Main Street here will just be a sea of motorcycles. You know, bikers look forward to this rally all year long, but this year it comes at a time when the Delta variant is ripping through this country. Here in South Dakota, the vaccination rate is right around the national average and on the rise, but also on the rise, new COVID cases. Health officials say just last week they saw a nearly 70% jump. Bikers from nearly every state are expected to pack the streets of Sturgis for what organizers believe will be one of their biggest rallies in the event's 81-year history. What's different about this year, if anything? Different. People want to get out. I think it's just the lockup last year. People want to escape, and they're escaping to South Dakota. But there are concerns that some rally-goers could bring home more than just a souvenir. Just last month in Wisconsin, tens of thousands of Milwaukee Bucks fans celebrated the team's NBA championship. Health officials say nearly 500 people ended up getting COVID. This could be a super spreader. We don't want it to be, but that's the reality. Dr. Shankar Kura says it's already the busiest week for his hospital in Rapid City because of the number of trauma cases related to the rally. The highly contagious Delta variant poses an additional challenge. What have you done to get to this point? The entire team stays in place. No one takes vacation. And we also recruit more folks uh, in anticipation of any increase in cases. Okay. For local business owners like Rod Bradley, the event provides a huge economic impact long after the bikers are gone. He welcomes the crowds as long as they take some personal responsibility. Obviously, you know, my 70-some-year-old mom isn't coming downtown, right? And so um, protect the vulnerable and take responsibility for yourself. So, yeah, it's definitely a theme in Sturgis at the rally, but it's also been a theme of South Dakota since the virus hit. Now, during this rally, there will be no mask mandates, no vaccination mandates, but there will be sanitation stations set up at various points uh, throughout town and this year for the first time ever open container open alcohol containers will be allowed outside as the city tries to encourage people to come outside from the bars and be outside in the open air where of course Vlad we know health officials say the virus is less likely to spread all right Mola thank you very much appreciate it joining us now is Dr. Michael Osterholm director for the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota doctor it's good to see you again morning Thank you. It's good to be with you. So let me ask you about what's happening there in South Dakota. More than half a million people are expected to attend. What are your concerns? 
Well, anytime we bring a group of people like that together, they are going to spend time indoors. It's just a matter of whether in the bars, the tattoo parlors, or the casinos. And as we saw last year with Sturgis, we actually had a substantial number of cases tied to Sturgis that then were brought home uh, to their various states. And then we saw more transmission in those states from the people who came back from Sturgis. So we have every reason to believe that this year is going to be uh, just as bad, if not worse. And on top of it right now, as you know, people are really feeling pretty well done with this virus in many locations of the country. The fact of the matter is the virus isn't done with us. We have state fairs that are about to be held that will bring in two million people to various locations. We have lots of festivals that are being held this year. So this is the month, I think, right now of these events that are going to unfortunately occur at the same time that this virus is surging. Let me ask you about the Biden administration's plan to prioritize authorizing a booster shot for immunocompromised individuals. Uh, People wonder when they're going to be able to get their shots. How soon do you think this should happen? Well, we have a conflict going on right now that is normal, natural, and unfortunate. And what I mean by that is that uh, just uh, two days ago, the World Health Organization put out a plea for a moratorium on any booster shots around the world uh, because of the fact countries like ours that have had two doses available for virtually everyone, whereas of the 6.4 billion people living in low- and middle-income countries, less than 1% to 2% have had access to vaccine at all. And so the world is asking us not to do booster shots inside the country, those of those individuals who are still susceptible because they haven't had an adequate response to the first two shots are begging for their booster shot. So we've got this tension going on. I'm not sure how it will ultimately be decided. Someday, there's no question in my mind, boosters will be given. uh, And the question is just how soon that that's going to happen. Doctor, you said something the other day that got my attention. These are your words. This virus will find you. It will infect you eventually. It made the hair stand up on the back of my neck because you said it with such certainty. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and why it's so really scary for children? Well, Gail, as you know, this virus has only continued to uh, become more and more transmissible or more infectious. Uh, Over the course of the last 18 months, we've had these mutations occur, uh, and each one of them, unfortunately, uh, related to transmission has only made the virus more infectious. Now we have a situation where, as you're seeing, you can go for months in a given location with little activity, and then you see these big surges occur. And what happens, people feel like they're out of the woods. You know, I keep telling people, don't think you can run out the game clock. It's not going to happen. Ultimately, this virus will keep circulating until it finds you. And I think the story that you had on just before this one on the forest fire is basically a, a one of great similarities. These fi- this fire will find that those trees, that forest to burn eventually. That's what this virus is going to do with us as humans. That is frightening. That's a visual. Uh, yeah, it is indeed. Uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Coming up in our next hour, we will talk with Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about sending students back to the classroom while COVID cases are rising. Travel chaos, and chaos is a word, continues for Spirit Airlines and its customers who are very frustrated and angry. This morning, the low-cost airline has already canceled more than 250 flights. That brings the total to more than 1,700. This week, thousands of passengers were left stranded. Spirit blames a perfect storm of staff shortages and bad weather. Errol Barnett spoke with Spirit's president and CEO, that's Ted Christie. Errol is at Washington's Reagan's National Airport with more on the story. Good morning to you, Errol. What else did he tell you? 
Good morning, Gail. Well, Christie is apologizing emphatically to passengers. He said their schedule should be back to normal by next week, but that means more cancellations through the, the weekend. Now, look, this is a budget airline, so its passengers are already financially conscious. And we spoke to people who spent hundreds of dollars on hotel stays, on car rentals. Uh, so those who couldn't afford that, take a look at some of this video, had to sleep at baggage claim areas. Some people in their own wheelchairs and from coast to coast, this just added to people's frustration. So we asked Christy to respond to those videos of people really suffering at airports with no place to go. It's heart-wrenching. Uh, it's a terrible experience, and we're doing our best uh, to make up for that. And I believe we have, so that those people are either where they belong, where they're in a hotel, or, or afforded the option to go somewhere else. Now, Christy says that includes reimbursing travelers for food, even booking them on other airlines. And he admits the airline has just simply been overwhelmed. He explains that problems began late July with bad weather across the country. That resulted in delays and then stranded crews. That led to staff shortages, and it was just a real domino effect. He did say the airline should have canceled more flights to reset, but instead they tried to stay afloat, maintaining the flights to accommodate the large number of passenger bookings they did have. Christie tells me that he does want to win customers back. He's committed to improving the reliability and the reputation of the airline. But Dana, this has been such a painful week for so many people. It remains to be seen just how long it will take before they trust this airline again. Yeah, once you've gone through it, it is very difficult to get people back. Errol, thank you. This morning, longtime union leader Richard Trumka is being remembered as a powerful force in Democratic Party politics. Trumka, president of the AFL CIO Labor Federation since 2009, died yesterday of a suspected heart attack. He was 72. He came from a Pennsylvania coal mining family and worked as a miner himself before he became head of the United Mine Workers and then the AFL-CIO. President Biden yesterday called Trumka a close personal friend. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said, quote, the working people of America have lost a fierce warrior. Turning now to the Summer Olympics, USA gymnastics star Simone Biles returned home to a hero's welcome in Houston yesterday after her uplifting final performance in Tokyo. Back in Japan, American athletes continue to add to their medal count on the field, in the sand, and on the mat. Jamie Yukis is in Tokyo. Jamie, Team USA finishing the Olympics in top form. It's been fun to watch, hasn't it, Vlad? Good morning to you. With the closing ceremony set for Sunday, this year's summer games, they're coming to an end. We still, though, got baseball and water polo to look forward to, with Team USA hoping to continue its success. That is it. The United States has won the gold medal. Beach volleyball stars April Ross and Alex Kleinman made it look easy in Tokyo. The two never lost a match, dropping only a single set the entire tournament on their way to gold. We've wanted this so bad and we've dreamed of this and we've worked so hard for this and it was just an amazing moment. Baby Najat to go on top. She's got it! In the air, Katie Najat flew her way to a gold medal in the pole vault, thrusting herself more than 16 feet in the air. The American takes the lead. On the mat, in the final seconds of his match, American wrestler David Taylor took down the reigning world champion for his gold medal. 
she's on the steepest part of the wall. From one of the oldest Olympic sports to one of the newest, Nathaniel Coleman muscled his way to a silver medal in sport climbing. And the women's basketball team will advance to the gold medal game after crushing Serbia in the semis. A lot of dudes don't get this opportunity, so I'm just blessed I can be a part of this. Zach Levine in a foot race with Thibault, he'll slam it down. Late tonight, the men's team will see France in the gold medal game. It's the rematch. So uh, going in with a full deck of guards and uh, lay it on the line. Forward Bam Adebayo says they are ready. Practicing on the court is one thing, but we were surprised by one particular training tactic. We like to play cards. Those card games can go on for three, four hours because we're so competitive. Obviously, nobody wants to lose. You know, just being able to play those games, it gets your minds off of basketball, but you still keep that competitive nature. Olympians, they're just like us, right? As we just mentioned, the big showdown is late tonight against the French. They handed the Americans that rare loss in their first game of the tournament. And now France is the only obstacle standing between Team USA and their fourth consecutive basketball gold medal. By the way, the women will be looking for their seventh straight gold this weekend, Gail. All right, the women are ready and the guys are playing cards. Do you think they're playing old maid or fish? <laughs> spade. Jamie, or spade. I would be. <laughs> Fish is a lot of fun. Jamie Ucas, thank you as always. Great, great job. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get your morning news in under 20 minutes and daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.